Luke chapter 4. All right, you've been doing your reading every week. Read ahead. So next, guess what? You get a break already. Four week chapters into it, and you get two weeks to read chapter 5. And so um, chapter 4 this week, and you know what? This, is, this one's a little different for me as I'm going through it. Because as I was studying chapter 4, I did what I normally do. I look through it, and I look at what's the most, when I preach, I look through a section of scripture, I look at what, what just kind of grabs me, what I think God's saying, you know, but you know, kind of what's interesting and what's maybe helpful. And, and I was at first drawn in chapter 4 to the section that talks about Jesus, said, Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. In fact, what I did is I actually outlined the whole thing. I had the sermon pretty much all outlined out, was working on doing it, a sermon about overcoming temptation as Jesus overcame temptation. And that would have been really nice had we done it because who's ever tempted? Yeah, we all are. It would have been really nice, but guess what? We're not doing that today. Um, I do my best to try to hear the voice of the Spirit. And I always do that. And, 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 you know, so I'm just doing it. I'm like, it's just not sitting right with me. You know, I'm, I'm going through this thing. It's an easy sermon to preach. And, you know, boom, 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 here's the points and can do it. And I've preached on a topic a dozen times before over the years. And, but it wasn't sitting right with me. It was as if the Holy Spirit was just kind of trying to say, Mark, I want you to approach chapter 4 from a different angle. And this is the phrase that kept coming to my mind that I mentioned during communion today. That what does Luke say about Jesus. What's Luke saying about Jesus? How is he making Jesus the hero of the story? And I kept thinking about that. What's he saying about Jesus? And it it just struck me, there's nothing new, but it struck me again on how we generally live our lives and how we even live our church life. That generally what happens is anything that goes on in the world, we take it and we look at it from an angle that says, what does that mean for me? What about me? What am I getting out of this? So, you know, so I look at the temptation of Jesus, and what else are you going to do? I wasn't going to preach a sermon to you about how did Jesus walk through temptation. I was going to walk, preach a sermon that says, this is how Jesus did it, and so this is how you can walk through temptation. And the whole sermon would have been about how you and I can take what he went through and apply it to our lives, right? And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but what I was just felt very compelled by the Spirit was, Mark, how come your automatic default settings and look at it from how does it affect you? And you meaning you, us. Instead of saying, what did Luke really do here? What was Luke really trying to do? And you look at it, as you step back in chapter 4, and you can do this in many sections of Scripture, but you step back in chapter 4 and look at it as a whole, you just see this beautiful, kind of surprising picture of Jesus that Luke is painting. He's He's describing Jesus. Remember, he wrote this to a guy named Theophilus, who he's saying, I'm investigating Dr. Luke, I'm investigating all this information, and I'm trying to figure out who is that, what's the truth about Jesus? And here he's saying in chapter 4, he's going through all this stuff that describes who Jesus is, how Jesus acts, and we see this beautiful picture of Jesus. You know, if in, in one short chapter, Luke reveals this picture that um, helps us, I think this, say it this way, I can't give a better word, get a better feel for who Jesus is. So I think sometimes we don't really have the right feeling, the right idea, the right concept of who Jesus is. So what I'm going to do today is to try to simply let Luke speak and give a little commentary, but let Luke speak about Jesus that will take some time to, today to marvel about Jesus. 
that will remind ourselves that Jesus is the star of the show and that we are not the star of the show, that he is the star, he is the star of the show. So I'm going to do is break down this chapter in some chunks and let each chunk speak to us about Jesus. And I think this, if you're honest and you're open, I think you may be surprised at the picture or the feeling you get for Jesus from this text. Because you're going to find out maybe he's not exactly who we generally want to think, who we want to make him into. All right, so let's start in the beginning. We're going to read, read in chunks. So the first chunk is chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, where I was going to write a sermon out of. Verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and when, he had, when it ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. So what do we see about Jesus in this first chunk from chapter 4? I'm going to say what I see and I'm going to explain it. Because you're going to go, oh, wait a minute, is that really what it is? This is what I think he's really trying to see from this section of Scripture, this chunk. That Jesus, Luke is portraying Jesus, explaining who Jesus really is. That Jesus is an ordinary person who shows that it is possible to overcome the attacks, the temptations of the devil. What I mean by this is that he's an ordinary person. Remember a few weeks ago we were talking about, um, in the Gospel of Luke, we were talking about how, how uh, Jesus, Luke really goes to a great deal of depth in, in, in purpose to say Jesus is fully God and fully man. And we looked at that a couple weeks ago. And he is fully God and fully man. And Luke has been helping us understand that. Well, in chapter 4, we see how as a fully human person, as a fully human man, he overcomes an all-out attack from the devil. When I say he's an ordinary guy, he's ordinary because of... Many things are implied, like he doesn't know, you know, devil has to show him all the things of the world. He doesn't, he doesn't see them all. Devil has to show them. He, devil has to take him to the pinnacle. He can't just fly up there. He's an ordinary guy. But he says something else that's, that's very earthy about Jesus. After 40 days, what happened to Jesus? He got hungry. He functioned the same way we function. Anybody ever fast 40 days? <laughs> Anybody ever fast 21 days? Okay. Some of you, I fast 21, as long as I've ever fasted, 21 days. You know what? Jesus was 40 days, and he's been tempted the whole time, and then he's tempted some more. It says after he became hungry, then he did the bread thing. And um, he gets hungry. 
He has the ordinary restrictions of the body like we do. He has the same limitations. So what are the, what are the, there's a commercial for Snickers about being hangry, you know? And you're, you're hungry and you get, you, they don't think there's the word hangry in there, do they? I can't remember. But it'll be like, hey, yeah, you're, there's one, it's one famous person and they're actually kind of crabby and they go, you need a Snickers and they become somebody else. You know, Suzanne's actually bought me Snickers at times. She really has. She's a, honest to God, she's like, uh, Mark, you need to eat this. Um, saying, so you guys know what hangry is. They talk in counseling. They'll tell you the times you never discuss something. When you're, when, you're, when you're tired, when you're angry, when you're hungry. And I just read a book that says when you're driving. Interesting. And I looked at our life and I went, oh my goodness, that one is right. Because you're locked in the car. Um, and I thought, how many are, car, it's been a little times driving. But hungry is one of them. Jesus is a normal guy. He's hungry 40 days, no eating. The devil's saying a simple thing. Turn this stone into bread. You can do it you're, if you're God's son. Do it. He's this ordinary guy who's hungry. He's affected by the physical things that affect us. He is on the same plane that we are while the devil is attacking us. So in spite of that, he still overcomes. And it says something about Jesus and how he overcame here. Two things it points out very clearly in the, in the context of these, of these 13 verses. Number one, he was full of the Spirit. It says that over and over. And he was, and he understood God's Word. That's really the context here. Look, throughout this chapter, Luke repeatedly makes the point that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. If you want to do yourself something interesting as you're going through the Gospel of Luke, every time it mentions being full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, just underline it in red or blue or whatever. You're going to be surprised by the time you get to the end of Luke, you're going to flip it almost every page. You're going to see full of the Spirit, full of the Spirit, full of the Spirit, full of the Spirit, full of the Spirit. And the first thing it says about Jesus is he was full of the Holy Spirit or led by the Spirit. Um, and, and, and then throughout the temptation story, just that one little section of 13 verses, it repeatedly says that he uses God's word as a weapon against the attack. So what's the point? As an ordinary guy, full of the Holy Spirit, and knowing the word of God, and honestly, when I was going to go through and just use the first 13 verses, I wanted to do a whole thing on actually using the word of God right. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about how you declare it right. I'm talking about the fact you have to actually understand what it means. You need to be formed by it because we're masters at taking something totally out of context and applying it to something. Jesus understood the word of God properly. He had to write theology. He was formed by it so he could use it properly. Um, but this ordinary guy full of the Spirit, knowing the Word of God, that's how he overcame the attacks of the devil. What Luke is showing us is that Jesus relies on the same things that are available to any one of us. He wants us to understand that when we look at Jesus, we don't misunderstand who he is, that he became one of us to show us how we can win. That Jesus operated like we did and he won. We don't, he doesn't want us to misunderstand who Jesus is. That he is in this, state, in this situation, he's operating like you and I operated. He became one of us to show us how to win. He doesn't want us to make the mistake of putting Jesus in a different class where we can make excuses for ourselves. Well, that was Jesus. Well, Jesus, I'm no Jesus. And we say that kind of stuff all the time. Well, I'm no Mother Teresa. 
We say that kind of stuff all the time. He's trying to make a point here. He's saying, don't do that. He's showing Jesus as an ordinary guy who has the same temptations as us, who operates by the same, the same, has the same things available to him as we do. The word of God and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to see that Jesus really struggled. That he had to rely on these other things. That he had to rely on the Holy Spirit. That he had to know the word of God. So Luke starts by helping us see Jesus as a supreme example of an overcoming, God-honoring, ordinary person. That's the first picture that we get of him from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 4. Let's move on to the next chunk. The next chunk, starting in verse 14. Let's look at 14 down to, to 21. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding districts. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What we see here is Jesus' mission statement. We see Jesus' purpose. What we, and what we see in that is we see Jesus' heart for the hurting. Jesus enters the synagogue, takes the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads. And look at verses 18 and 19. It says what he read out of the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He's defining the ministry that he's just beginning. This is the beginning of his ministry, and he's defining it. He's letting everyone know what his mission is about, that his mission is this. He is going to help the hurting. He is going to minister to the poor. He is going to work to see the release of the captives. Jesus is showing that he is not going to be some political leader that operates among the movers and the shakers of society. He's not going to be a power broker um, who, who spends his time with the elite. No, Jesus reveals that his heart is for the lonely and the lowly and the marginalized and the hurting. That's what he's saying here. For those who are often overlooked, and I would say this, he's going to those who are often looked down upon. That's what he's saying. He said, this is going to be my life. This is going to be my ministry. Jesus says in this context here that no one is beyond the love of God, that no one is too broken, no one is too bad, no one is too hurting to, to, to be touched and affected by the extent of his love. And if we look at how Jesus lived out his life, we find that these were not just empty words, that he spent his time with that group of people, that group that the Jewish religious crowd often wouldn't associate with and they criticized him for associating with. He spent his time with fishermen, praise God, and prostitutes and crooks and partiers. That's where he spent his time and, the, and they criticized him for it and eventually crucified him 
for it. What we see is that he didn't live to impress people. He lived to help people. And what a, what a, what a great example for us. That here's this guy, this ordinary guy who overcomes the power of the Holy Spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And he's living his life to say, my life energy is going to be spent helping the most needy people in society. So we're starting to get a little picture of what Jesus looks like. Let's look at the next example. Look at, in this one you're going to see the, the radicalness of Jesus. This is the part that often we don't like, we just, we just don't, don't make sense to us or doesn't fit our picture. Verse 22. And all were speaking well of him, wondering at the gracious words which are falling from his lips, and they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Now, so earlier it says in verse uh, 15, they're all praising him. Now it's saying here, you know, they're all wondering how wonderful he is in his gracious words. Ready? Verse 23. And Jesus says, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your own hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to the woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Nahum, the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue that loved him a minute ago were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and they drove him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. What do we see about Jesus here in this little chunk, in this snapshot? And I'd say this, Jesus is brutally honest with people in order to save them. He confronts people's blind spots to help them see the truth so that they can walk in the truth. See, look at what's his point when he tells this crowd they're all loving him. He needs to listen to a PR person. They would say, hey, you want to build a big church? Don't ever say anything negative. Don't talk about hell. Don't talk about problems. Don't talk about suffering because people want to just hear it's good and it's wonderful and it's grace. You know, it's wonderful to serve Jesus. So what's Jesus say? You know, He's telling them, they're all telling me he's wonderful, and he tells them a story. (laughs) Look at the story he tells the crowd. He says, there's this widow in Zarephath that Elijah went to, um, and this leper named Nahum from Syria that Elijah healed. And why does he tell these people that? Because he's making a point to them. He says, the people that were healed by God, that were touched by the miraculousness of God, these very hurting and needy people, guess what? They weren't Jews. That was the point he was making. They were, they were blessed and healed by God while many people that were Jews were overlooked and still had leprosy and still were starving and still had problems. Jesus was making a point to this Jewish crowd that their Jewishness, simply being Jewish, would not save them, would not make them right with God. They had to come to trust, they had, they had come to trust in their religion. They had come to trust in their tradition. They had come to trust in their nationality. Well, I must be right with God because I'm a Jew. The same way we say I must be a Christian because I'm American. 
they come to trust in that, not in a relationship where we say this, because I'm assemblies of God, or I'm evangelical, and I trust in that. These people, were doing, they were doing that. They were, they were trusting in their nationality and their tradition and their, and their religiosity, not in a right relationship with God. So Jesus pulls no punches and he addresses their error. An error, by the way, that could cost them their souls. So he does it. And what's their response? They want to kill him. They take the superstar Jesus, who they loved a minute ago, and everybody's speaking well, they take him to the top of a high hill and they want to throw him off. That's a great welcome. And it says, but it basically it's not his time yet, so Jesus walks through their midst. Here's what I want you to see that Luke is pointing out about Jesus. Jesus was a troublemaker. You don't often think of Jesus this way. Jesus was a troublemaker. Jesus was someone who stirred the pot. Jesus was a radical. He made people mad. They went from loving him to hating him in one sermon. That's a pretty bad sermon or a pretty good sermon, no matter how you look at it. And what he wants you to do, what I want you to do today, is wipe away any concept you have about Jesus being some guy who's petting sheep all the time and talking about love. That's what the pictures are. You know, he's petting sheep, talking about love, you know, and there's little birds flying around. Oh, no, is that, that's Walt Disney's, whatever, Cinderella. But that's how we think about it, right? Jesus was a radical. Jesus made people mad. He especially made people mad who said they had it all together religiously. He said that when they thought they were all right, when they were self-righteous. You'll notice in Scripture, Jesus, somebody, you know, people sometimes say, you know, they, they get this idea. I'm trying to think, I'm changing what I'm going to say. <laughs> Back up, don't say what you're going to say. Um, instead, say this. Jesus only, you should be proud of me. Um, <laughs> Jesus never condemned people for sin. He condemned them for self-righteousness. The Jesus came across against people who thought they were self-righteous. They were good enough. They didn't really need any help. That's what these people thought. Well, we were Jews. John the Baptist talked about it a few chapters earlier. He says, you know what? You think you're all right because you're Jews. He says, the axe is already laid at the, at the root. He's basically killing us. I'll raise up Jews from these rocks. Spiritual Jews. Spiritual people who are right with God. Jesus is a radical, and he looks at us when we get complacent and think that we're all right just because of the, the, the church we go to or the nationality we are, or we, we think we're all right. And he goes, no, you're not all right because of that. You need to be in a right relationship with God through Jesus the Son. So he's a radical. He made people mad, especially people who seem to have it all together. See, friends, Jesus loves people too much to let them live in their deception. So he calls a spade a spade, and he gets a bunch of people mad, and they wanted to kill him. They eventually did, but not till he was done doing what he wanted to do, ministering on earth. So are you starting to get an idea of how Luke is portraying Jesus? So far, he's an ordinary guy that overcomes the devil by the word of God and the power of the spirit. He is passionate for the outcast and the marginalized, the ones that everybody else overlooks. And he is a radical that stirs the pot of the status quo and says, you know what, if you're dependent on the wrong thing, I'm not going to let you live there. So what else does Luke have to reveal about Jesus? Look at verse 31. 
And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, they came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all, and began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out, and the report about him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. What's Luke want us to see about Jesus? This picture he's painting. He's saying, this guy is all I've told you, but he's also the one who has ultimate authority. See, the Jews were used to rabbis, which Jesus was, going around and teaching. But when they went around and teach, taught, they would quote from those who had taught them. They would say, well, Gamaliel told me this, or so-and-so told me that. And they would say what they had been taught, and I believe this, they were doing their best to figure out what God had to say to the people and to relate it to the people. But Jesus was different. He had this unique authority. When he taught, he told them what was true. He didn't quote from Gamaliel. He didn't quote from Hillel. He didn't quote from anybody else. He just says, this is what's true. This is what's the ultimate truth. See, what the people didn't understand, that he could do that, because he wasn't just teaching truth, that he is the truth. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. That he wasn't just, didn't just know the word of God, he is the word of God. And interestingly enough, a very interesting point from the story that we can often overlook is this. The demons understood it. The powers of evil, Satan understood exactly who he was. And they say to him, listen, stop messing with us. Who are you? I don't want to mess with, us, with you right now. You're the Holy One of God. And he told them to be quiet because he didn't want the people to understand that right, in that way at that time. Luke wants us to see Jesus' authority. He didn't just resist the devil's temptations. That's how it started off in the beginning of the chapter. But he had authority over the devil. The devil has to flee when Jesus tells the devil to flee. And just think, make an application here. I said we're going to make this about hero Jesus, but it does affect us. Just think of what, what this means for us when we are in Christ. His authority is within us. There is literally nothing that we need to be afraid of because we have Jesus with us. He has authority even over every dark, demonic power in the, in the spiritual world. There's nothing we have to fear. That's why Jesus, whenever he greets people, his most common greeting is what? It's kind of twofold. Either peace be with you or fear not. Same thing, same, basically the same thing. He's saying, don't be afraid. You've got nothing to be afraid of. Think of how much energy we waste being afraid. This might happen. That might happen. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this doesn't happen? And Jesus says, with me, you don't need to be afraid. He is ultimate authority. Now, Luke wants us to see one more thing about Jesus in chapter 4. And it's this. He's not only the all-authoritative, 
He's the miracle worker. He's the healer. Look at verse 38. Then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he, he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she immediately got up and waited on him. While the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. What's he saying? This Jesus that you're learning about, he's the miracle worker. Sick people are healed. Oppressed people are set free. He's not just a teacher. This isn't just about more religious knowledge, and that's what so much of a Christianity even today has become and what it was then. Just teach me more facts. He's like, it's not about that. It's about power. It's about reality. Jesus is a miracle worker. Jesus is the healer. His presence in our lives changes things. Things we can't do and doctors can't do, Jesus can do and he does do. The book of Hebrews, writing about Jesus, says this. Chapter 13, verse 8. A lot of you know it memorized. Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever. And you could put in there, Jesus is the same yesterday and in 2019 in Portview Church, in Port Washington, Wisconsin, and forever. The picture that Luke paints of Jesus is just as true about him today as it was then. He is still the healer. He is still the deliverer from the devil. He is still brutally honest with us in order to set us free and rescue us. He is still for the oppressed and the marginalized and the ones that no one else thinks matters. And he still shows it's possible to overcome temptation as we walk full of the Spirit and in the Word of God. And friends, he is still here for you today by the presence and power of his Spirit. And the question that we have, the only question that really comes from it is, are we going to give what we have to him? Are we going to bring our needs before him? Are we going to say, you know what, God, I might not have the answers, but you do. Are we going to say, you know, Lord, I'm coming to you today? Because that's what Luke's trying to paint the picture of. This Jesus who's amazing, who's a radical, who's a healer, and he's available. And that's what he's saying. I invite you to stand with me this morning. As we close our time together, I hope for two things. Number one is this, that you have a little different picture of Jesus than maybe you did before, especially that part about Jesus being a troublemaker. I'm kind of selfish in saying that because I've been accused of that. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to deter, but I'm saying sometimes we have a wrong picture of Jesus. He's a radical. He stirs up your life. He stirs up other people's lives because he loves them. And I hope you understand this. He wants to stir up your, if your life is just going really well and it's so going so well that you just don't even have time for him really because you're so busy about everything, he wants to stir that up. He doesn't want you to live like that. He's got something better for you. If you're here today and you need, you say, I need to be healed. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's here for us today. We're going to end like this this morning.
Suzanne's going to be, begin to sing a song in just a minute. She begins to sing. That's going to be our dismissal. If you want to, you, if you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, God bless you. Thank you for being here. Go have a wonderful day and spend some time today thinking about what's my picture of Jesus. I'd say this, spend some time today. Take some time, get alone, and just do your best to take these points and try to imagine what Jesus is like. Just try to, try to see him. He's trying to paint a picture for us. There's something very formative about trying to then let that become gelled in your mind and your heart. You just feel dismissed. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. But if you say, you know what, I need to come to Jesus today in, in a different way. I need to say, I don't want to walk out of here until, I, until I, I say, you know what, I need to be healed or I need to be set free or, or whatever it is, or I need to confess that I'm going in the wrong direction to the Lord. If you want to do that, I just invite you to come and find a place to pray. I'll be here, I'll pray with you, but you come find a place to pray. You're talking to Jesus, not me. And we're just going to close that way. So Lord Jesus, thank you that we get this better picture of who you are. This uh, extraordinary example of a person who walked in the spirit, guided by the word, who loved, loved the world so much that he went to the most needy and he didn't allow people to rest in their, in their uh, complacency. That you didn't do that. That you're a healer and a miracle worker. And so Lord, right now we say we need you and we love you. So Susanna, begin to sing and play. I invite you to come and find a place to pray. If you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. But let's just begin to pray as the Lord would lead you.